Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Your Mortgage Process. Of course, I'm your host, Greg Wareham. We got a great show for you today, and we're going to talk about bugs, and we're going to talk about pests, and we're going to talk about rodents, and we're going to talk about remediation. We got a lot going on. I wanted to welcome to the show today Craig and Jim from Viking Pest Control. Hey, guys. Hello. How are you, sir? Now, I fully expected you'd come in with branded uh, <laughs> uh, polos on today. I mean, listen, I got to step up my wardrobe game, Nick. These guys are dressed better than I am. We're trying to change the stigma of pest control. <laughs> I, want, I want you guys to know how good you look today. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, all right. So I want to just get in a little bit as to how you ended up in this industry. We were chatting a little bit off screen, and I know that uh, Craig said you never were going to college thinking you're going to do this. So or going to school thinking how you're going to do this. How do you mm -hmm. get into the industry, Craig? I think you have to like troubleshooting. No two days are the same. Okay. Uh, helping people. Um, you're working largely by yourself all day too, which is kind of nice. So if you're a self-starter and, you know, it, it's just an industry that attracts people that like to troubleshoot sure. like technical topics. And when you first came to work for Viking, I think you came in and thought you were going to be here for 30 years, right? Uh, no, I originally <laughs> told my boss I'll be here for six months while I finish school. So, yep. and that was in 2000. So. Uh, well, you love it. You love what you do. <laughs> yes. And then how about you, Jim? How do you end up in the industry? Uh, mine's complete opposite of Craig's. I was in the restaurant business and looking to get out of that because I was tired of working 70 hours a week. And sure. saw the exterminator come in and spray the wall. And I said, I could do that for a while until I figure out what I want to do. And uh -huh. here I am. So, yeah, I, I mean, both of us have left. Vi we started a Viking left and came back. So that's yeah. another success story we tell the newer technicians. But, yeah, I left the industry, went to work with the seeing eye for a little bit and came back and was like, this still isn't what I want to do. And then I said, you know what? I'm actually 30, so this is I'm, I'm not going to keep going to different jobs. So this is what I'm going to make a career out of it. And That's just great. put a business plan together and work my way up to the top. So. Well, you got to think things are changing every day, right, in the business. You guys are busy all the time out on the road doing different things. So I wanted to get into a little bit about uh, purchasing a home, right? Mm -hmm. So why is a, an inspection, an insect and pest inspection, so important when you're looking to purchase a home? Uh, simply put, uh, the damage that can be caused isn't covered by homeowners. So right. somebody owns that damage when they take that home. Right. And it can be very cost prohibitive. Um, you know, I know some estimates are $600 a foot for wood repair now. So wow. um, it can be very costly to the homeowner. That, that's a great point, right? It never even occurred to me. It's not covered by homeowner's insurance. It's on your dime if you move in and there's some sort of uh, pest issue going on uh, with the house. How about you, Jim? What's your spin on that? Everything that we usually do, I mean, mostly it's going to be wood-destroying wood insects and anything, but, uh, you know, rodents, anything like that, that you're just not thinking about when you're buying your home. Right. Um, and even with new construction, we, we kind of joke about it now, the way it's built. They, they leave gaps all the time that people, no one's thinking about pests when they're building their homes. Right. So there are gaps and holes and, and, and things that we see when we're driving by. We're like, oh, man, look at the gap on there. You know, you're just <laughs> inviting everybody in. So it's, yeah. a, it's a whole different thing. Yeah. You know what, too? And I'm thinking as you're talking about it, I'm thinking most of the issues that could be going on in a house, you can't really see them to the untrained eye, right? You're walking house, oh, man, this house is fantastic. It's not like you see ants crawling up the wall, right, for the most part. Uh, absolutely true. I think a lot of people don't know what they're looking at until they have a problem. And then it gets pointed out that this sign or that sign was there. And suddenly people are, oh, my God, I didn't realize I had that all this time. So, sure. 
And we get that quite a bit. Well, what are some of the red flags to look for? Like if I'm going to my, I'm going to go back to my house today and now I'm going to look around and be like, where are those bugs at? <laughs> I know they're around here somewhere. Like what are some things I should be keeping an eye out for? I always say check your windowsills because okay. everything tries to make its way back outside and usually bounces off the glass until, you know, it can no longer bounce off the glass. Okay. And you'll get a nice little collection there if you're not looking often. Um, things like termites where they shed their wings. If you're only finding wings, that's definitely a negative. <laughs> Because uh, termites shed their wings before they go back into the soil. Huh. Um, and now, do you usually find those by the windowsill as well? Uh, yes. Because yeah. they're all trying to get out. Yep. They're, tr- they're attracted to the sunlight. Okay. Uh, they have what they call nuptial flight. They take off. They try to mate. And then they pair up. And they shed their wings before they enter the soil again. Okay. So, uh, And then lines of dirt on the foundation. That's really a big issue because uh, you know you, they make shelter tubes. They actually have to keep themselves moist. So they'll get little veins of dirt that go up the walls in the basements, the garages, that kind of thing. You, anywhere where there's close soil, wood contact, and people don't know often what they're looking at. Huh. So, so yeah, you could have to, I mean, that's a hard one to spot, right? Yeah. The insect tubing, let's, yeah. let's call it. Yeah. Huh. What, what, anything else that another, you'd like to add in there, Jim? Another thing, uh, as we use in the term in the, the industry is sebum. Um, basically, the oils from an animal's back or fur, if they're using the wall for guidance, Right, they're going to leave that oil behind, on, and it, it, it looks—it's a rub mark. Um, so if you see the rub mark, rats, mice, anything like that that could be living within the structure that you're just not looking for, and then near there, you'll probably find some rodent droppings as well. So mm, that makes sense. Yeah. Now, I don't know if this is true or not, but I've always heard something like a mouse or a rat—they can like fit into a space that's like the size of like a quarter, like they fit into anything. Quarter quarter inch by half inch for a mouse. Okay. Half inch by half inch for a rat. Wow. Yep. It's very small. So they, all they have to do, if they can fit their head in there, they can get through it. Essentially, yes. Yes. Wow. That's good. That's, that's insane. I, so now do most of the, I know this is a stupid question, but so if you have mice in your house, did they all organically come from the outside? Or could they have been there for Potentially. years and years? Okay. Um, you either get them from neighbors, you get them from outdoors. Uh, those are usually the two most common spots, but... You know, they are pos- – we like to think of ourselves as the most successful mammal on Earth. Yep. They've made it to all seven continents, and they can't fly a plane. They can't drive a car. <laughs> so, you know, um, and they're everywhere. So, yeah. I guess success is a relative term, right? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and we won't go down that tangent. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the, what's the most common thing that you say when you're out there? It also depends on territory as well. Yeah. So in northern New Jersey, where I live, we're looking more for your, your spiders, stinging insects, ants. Um, Morris County, where I live, is a lot of mice. Um, mm. So, you know, that that's more common, especially this time of year. We're starting to see a lot of or ramping down with it, but they're, they're prevalent all over the place. That's actually, that's a really good point. So it really is going to depend on the geography of where you're at. So down here closer to the shore area, we may have different issues you have to pay attention to than northern New Jersey or different parts of the country. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, just along the shore, we have different mosquito species than we see, um, you know, along the rivers up in northern New Jersey. Okay. Uh, and different flight patterns, different ranges, uh, different times that they feed. So, um, you know, depending on where you're at, you get different insects entirely. And it also depends on the age of the neighborhood as well. Um, You know, if you have a relatively new development without a lot of hardwood trees or young hardwood trees, you're not going to get a lot of carpenter ants. But if you're in something that was built in the 40s, 50s, 60s, where there's a lot of hardwood trees that are more mature, you're probably going to see more carpenter ant activity. 
So it really depends on the neighborhood you're in. And, and down here in Monmouth and Ocean County, uh, odorous house ants are the big thing. Yeah. Um, what, what are that? Could you repeat that, please? Odorous house ants. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we got to go deep on this. <laughs> so what are, what's an odorous house ant? I'll refer to it. Uh, it it's a small, Craig, we need to go deep on this. <laughs> what do you got? It's a small ant species that um, people call them sugar ants a lot of times. Um, they are a very tough ant species because they have multiple queens. Okay. And they reproduce very quickly. And they take advantage of small gaps, cracks, crevices, uh, different areas where um, they can bud from and reproduce and split off new colonies. And uh, they get very difficult to get rid of. They're usually very small, about an eighth of an inch, okay. black in color. Um, but Do very they economic. smell? Yes. If you break them up, they're supposed to smell like rotten coconut. I don't know who does this, but... Huh. Um, yeah, there's a lot of different ant species with different odors to them. Okay. Oh, so. Believe me, when you're a technician and you want to look really impressive, you squish one of those. You see, it smells like, <laughs> it smells like coconut rum. <laughs> yep. And, and uh, the, the homeowners you know that, what uh, they like, it. wow. Yeah, this guy's like, he's a little <laughs> nutty, but yeah. You're you know a bug guy. Like. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, we actually have a species called the citronella ant, and it smells just like a citronella candle. Huh. So, yeah, that's... It's always a crowd favorite. Now, are some of them more destructive than others? Like, is a carpenter ant like the worst kind of ant that you can get because they eat wood? Uh, for the, for the most part, yeah, they do the most destruction to wood. Okay. Um, even more so sometimes than termites. Termites tend to be a little. Uh, they, they go undetected longer, which makes them a little more dangerous because okay. usually people see the carpenter ants, see the signs uh, sooner. But uh, yeah, they could be very destructive. Carpenter ants work faster because they're not yeah. eating the wood, so they're just chewing and spitting it out. So okay. they're able to maneuver because they're looking to build a home. That's uh, where the termites are looking to eat and also create the galleries so they can live within. But yeah, so carpenter ants, the f damage is faster. Termites could be a lot more extensive because, as Craig said, they can go ten years without being detected, mm. and you go to lean up against your wall one day and you're falling through it. So, so the carpenter ants, they don't, they're not eating it. They're chewing it up to build a house. Sure. They're going to build their own house. Chew they're stealing up, your property. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. And the termites are actually digesting this and making other things. Okay. Now, how can you tell the damage when you look at a piece of wood? What's carpenter ant and what's termite? Carpenter ant damage tends to be clean. It looks almost sanded or polished inside. Okay. Whereas termite damage almost always has mud or dirt with it. Same reason they build the shelter tubes is they need to bring the mud to keep the moisture level up. Okay. Well, they do the same thing in the wood. They bring damp mud with them to create a humid condition that they can live in. Okay. Huh. Did you know this, Nick? <laughs> Are you saying Nick's shaking his head. So I like uh, polished. <laughs> if I could have my wood-destroying insect, I want it to be leave a polished uh, finish mm -hmm. at the end of it. So what's the, out of all the different things that you see, what's the worst one to have? Mm. Well, or is that variable? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's your threshold, really. Like some people, they feel mice is the worst thing. Um, in my opinion, termites, it has to be because it, it's damaging the integrity of your, your structure. But, uh, I mean, my girlfriend has a death fear of spiders. So okay. it, it all depends on, on what you want. I'm with her. Yeah, it's... it's but <laughs> <laughs> well, believe me. And I just pick them up, take them outside, and she just stares at me like I'm insane. But I'm, right. Yeah. Bed well, bugs are bed bugs are probably high on that list as oh, well. Oh, good sure. one, right? Yeah. So, how do you know if you have bed bugs? <sighs> I mean, when you go home at night, how do you know that you have bed bugs? I, I mean, what you hear here's the urban legend would be you got like little blood spots on the sheets. And... Mm -hmm. It's usually not seeing the insects. Okay. Um, usually, you don't see the insects until they've been there for about six months. Okay. So it's usually waking up with patterns of bites. Uh, that's usually the first clue, and most people now are aware, more aware than they were. 10 years ago okay. when we saw this reemergence. Um, but 
you know, the spots of blood on the sheets is the big one, um, multiple bites. But, you know, they're saying now between 20 and 50 percent of the population doesn't react to the bite. So wow. and that's where we really run into issues is when, you know, somebody's not reacting. They live by themselves and the populations get higher and higher and higher. So when I was a kid, bed bugs, you know, you did, uh, what was the expression? Don't let the good night, don't let the bed bugs bite, right? But at that time, like by the time you got into the 80s, there was no such thing really as a bed bug. And now you have in the past 10 years, you have them back again. What happened? Uh, there were changes in the way, well, first, international travel increased. Okay. That was one of the big contributing factors. Uh, certain classes of pesticide that were broad spectrum and long lasting went off the market. So, you know, we saw our carbamates, organophosphates, and for health, for good health purposes, they right. came off the market. Um, but they were really one of the things that kind of opened the door for them to reproduce again. And we huh. used to treat things like cockroaches proactively by spraying baseboards, right? And that kind of went away. We went to baiting and different, you know, treatment methodologies. And so there was really no safety net anymore to stop that bed bug. So that's, and then they, you know, that you add that with a population that really doesn't, understand the pest and it spread like wildfire and you know we had a bunch of really good years and actually <laughs> we had a gigantic dip in bed bugs in 2020 because nobody was traveling interesting yeah so there was nobody passing it around so it, it kind of stunk on my end because i'm trying to create revenue for our branches <laughs> and yet we're not selling it so so and you can really like when you go to a hotel they can really climb into your suitcase right absolutely even i, I even i have fallen victim <laughs> really yep all right, well, we got to go deep on that crap. <laughs> All right, so where were you? You don't have to give the place the name of the place. So you're at a hotel. Tell me what happened. I'm in Park City, Utah. Okay. And, um, yeah, it, it was a very high-end room. Um, okay. Yeah, I would have never thought in a million years that a place of that caliber would have been, because I usually check the room. This right. place I had not, and I came home and, you know, promptly blamed my wife for bringing bed bugs home. And... <sighs> <laughs> and then realized it was me. So, oh, man. Now, yeah. did you leave your luggage on the floor or in that little stand they give you? Uh, yes, and I know better than to do either. Okay. So, yes, yeah. So the the rule, you go there, one, you want to check for bed bugs, I guess, behind the pictures and stuff, I imagine. Headboards, walls, nightstands, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then always leave your luggage up. I've always recommended people leave it in the bathtub when you're not using it. Okay. They can't climb the porcelain. So that's good to know. Okay. So it looks like I'm sleeping in the bathtub <laughs> when I'm traveling. All right. Yep. So leave it in the bathtub and then you're, you're if not you're really paranoid. If okay. you're really paranoid. Yeah. Huh. What do you think about that, Jim? I don't follow any of that. I just throw my, <laughs> I throw my suitcase on the bed and let it ride. I don't, it, it's, if I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it. Well, that's yeah. because you know how to kill them. <laughs> True. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. Nick's got a question. Are they really hard to say? The first instar nymph is very small. Um, you know, a little larger, larger than a grain of sand. And Did you say nymph? Nymph. Yes. Okay, yes. just check it. Baby, baby insect. Yes. Okay. Yeah, uh, they're very small and hard to see until they take a blood meal, and then they start to develop some coloration. They get their mahogany color after that. Okay. About the size of an apple seed once they're an adult. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, big enough. Yeah, you you see them. So and if go ahead. any if anyone has ever seen one. That's all they fixate on, and they they pick them out like that. So they're. Oh, I can imagine, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So now look at the bed bug. <laughs> You're never going to figure out. What and that then they're thing paranoid like. over every mosquito bite for the next six months. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> now you had mentioned before about different types of mosquitoes in different areas. Now is the process of remediating remediating different types of uh, insects different? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, 
we're often doing uh, foliar treatments for mosquitoes uh, to help knock down adults. Um, well, we, what does that what does that mean? We're treating plants, so uh, shrubs, trees that are non-flowering. We don't do the flowering plants because we don't okay. want to harm any uh, beneficial insects like butterflies or honeybees. But um, and what happens is during the day, mosquitoes will roost on the undersides of leaves. That's okay. where they hang out. That under decks, under soffits, under eaves. Um, so by treating those, we help to knock down that adult population. But some mosquito species, like Aedes uh, uh, um, solicitans, the mos- uh, salt marsh mosquito, is a real f- long-range flyer, so it flies about forty miles. Okay. So you know, a mosquito mo- flies forty miles. Yes. I didn't even think they lived that long. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Long enough to take a blood meal and lay some eggs and die. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, a lot of the other species that we deal with around the home are short range, 300 yards or less. Mm-hmm. So we do a very, you know, our programs are very solid at dealing with those. But the, the, the salt marsh mosquitoes, that's why we have mosquito control commissions with helicopters to attack these things. Because, okay. uh, you know, they, they, they actually have to do larger treatments to larger swaths of land to control them. So, mm. um, but the good news is we can time them. We know when they're coming because they, they t- uh, tie in with the lunar high tide. So... We know when they're coming. Who knew this was so complicated? <laughs> so wait a minute. So all right. So the mosquitoes, you got to treat the plants because the plants is a big breeding ground for them. Roosting point, yeah. Roosting hangout point spot. Thing. Okay, there yeah. we go. So that's yeah. where they hang out. So we want to treat the plants, and then you're timing this with the lunar high tide in a particular month. Well, it's not us. It's the county mosquito control really oh, targets see. them, but they actually come out with helicopters and aircraft. And okay, yeah. It's, and they know that's the time that this is when they're yep. all all around. We got to kill these things. Hey, is there a lot of that going on? Like oh, absolutely. Okay. And if you've ever been down to shore and you see those lines cut into the the marshes down to shore, okay, where they have like those trenches, yeah, uh, that's for mosquito control. Um, that's to allow small fish to come up and feed upon the juveniles, and eight, they call it ditching. Huh. Um, so yeah, it's something that's done on a county level. Wow. Wow. All right. Well, I got to thank the county. That's why I'm not getting bit by too many mosquitoes. And we can help you with ones that are local. Right. Yeah. That's it. That's interesting. So what do you think the hardest thing is to treat or remediate? Probably rats. Why? Uh, Their behavior. Um, They're what they call neophobic. They're afraid of everything new. Hmm. Um, They, you put a new trap in their environment, they will avoid it. Like it's the plague and yeah, no pun intended. Um, But yeah, they uh, absolutely are thinking, cautious. Um, They really take a lot of work. Uh, And they communicate very well with the other rats. You know, they're they're one of the smartest things we deal with. Really? Huh. So yeah, so people look at these things like a rodent, but at the end of the day, which they they are classified that way, Mm -hmm. but these are very smart communal creatures that communicate with each other and they learn. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you an example. One of their behaviors is only the less dominant animals accept a new food source. Okay. Now, the more dominant animals, the ones that we're targeting, the ones that are reproducing, uh, they'll stay with the existing food source until they know the others have fed upon it it's safe and they accept it. Okay. So they almost have like a food tester, kind of like a king would have, you know, yeah. to taste their food to make sure they don't get sick. Like Ratatouille. Did you see that movie? Great movie. Emil yeah. was a tester. Yes. He was eating the food all the time. And there's really? some partial truth to it. They can <laughs> yeah. actually taste to one part per million. So huh. they have an extremely good sense of taste. So if somebody was smoking and handled bait or handled a trap, they can actually smell or taste that on the device. Huh. So they're very attuned to survival. 
what wow. you call street smart. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they and they wear battle scars like they they're just and they also can gnaw through anything really. So like they're just incredible animals. Wow. That is it true that their teeth keep growing? Yes. All right. They could like grow through their mouth unless they're wearing them down through chewing through things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, they can actually wear them against each other as well. Um, but I've actually seen them chew through cinder block uh, overnight. And then okay. we'd seal it and there'd be a new hole next to it the next morning. Um, right wow. through it like a hot knife through butter. And they could chew right through the concrete. Uh, through concrete. Yep. They, now, usually it's, they have to have, have an established food source or an established nest there yeah. or something to really get them to go back to chewing back through. But uh, it does happen. I, we've even seen them chew through mild steel. Um, and I wouldn't believe it if I didn't see it with my own two eyes. Wow. So so if you got a rat problem, that's a real problem. You have to get someone out there to take care of it because they're not going away. Strongly recommended. Right. Yeah. Huh. And they send a food tester out there. Hey, go <laughs> test that. Well, yeah. Hey, Billy, get over here. You got to test that. And that's to, really amazing. And to Craig's point earlier, like, what we will do is do what we call pre-baiting, where the, yeah. the first few services we do is it's we're not setting any traps or anything. We are just placing that food so they get used to it, and then we'll start doing our, our regular trap sequence. Hmm. Now, talking about uh, talking about trapping, there's different ways that you can do it, right? You can you can kill the animal, mm-hmm. you can kill the the rodent or whatever it is, or there's different types of humane trapping, I would imagine as well. Yep. So, do you do both? Uh, not only that, but we have something new that really is pretty new to the industry in general, but yeah. one of the things that Antisemics brought to the table when we were acquired in 2017 was their digital pest management system. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually have devices that don't use any rodenticide and are closed That's systems. That's poison? Uh, no poison. Okay, but the, with the term is po- Okay, yes. got yeah, it. No poison for I mean, we got lay people listening to this. <laughs> yeah, I, I trained myself not to use the P word. <laughs> so That's yeah. one of our dirty words. We okay, got it. I understand. <laughs> yeah. I so, can see that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we actually have det- digital detection systems that use passive infrared. We have uh, multiple catch devices that actually use electrocution. Um, hmm. We have uh, single catch traps that are, you know, rapid you know, uh, dispatch Mm -hmm. is probably the best way to put it. Yeah. You know, I was reading a little bit about that. It's like that, uh, anti-Semitic smart program and it's cities and everything, right? Like you put these devices and source systems to get the rats out without killing them, forcing them to a different location. Uh, no, it actually, it is still, uh, it is still a lethal control. Oh, okay. But it's humane. But it's the only, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, they can't even measure time of death. It's so fast. Okay. Uh, so there's no suffering, but, um, I do know that, we're the only company on the planet that has a source solution that is mechanical and non-rodenticide based, so not poison-free. Oh, that's great. So That's right. It's got to be great for the environment, for sure. Yep. And, and that's another thing. We're, we're starting our sustainability act where we're looking to reduce the usage of rodenticides and pesticides as, yeah. as you know, we're moving towards a bit more of a digital era. Um, so we're utilizing the SMART program for everything, and it, it's been great. Oh, that's a great way to do it. I mean, anything that's environmentally friendly and trying to, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, in order to, to eliminate, uh, say, remediate some of these situations, unfortunately, some of it's lethal to be able to do that, but it's also necessary because they spread disease and there's serious health consequences of, of having certain rodents and different things uh, interacting with humans. But to at least do it in a very, the most humane way possible is fantastic. Yeah, it sounds like a great program. That's smart program. And it also gets us into areas where we can't, th- like, if we're, our basic mouse programs, like we will set the traditional snap traps or baits or anything like that, but 
we can put these, we call them eyes, they're sensors in, in areas like in the drop ceilings or in corners of where we're just not thinking where they're getting. And it, it allows us to see where exactly everything is entering. Right. So now we can pinpoint where the problem is and just focus on those areas and it helps us move along faster and just basically remediate these issues a lot quicker. Or, at, I mean, we've, Craig and I actually did the first install we ever had with this a few years ago. It was a, a small bodega that had actually canceled our services three different times. And they've gone through 15 different companies. Nobody could solve their problem. Right. We put this in the drop ceiling and Craig and I were able to locate where it was coming in. And within two weeks, I think we, we solved their issue and then just kind of systematically moved it around until they were pest free. It was great. Oh, that's fantastic, yeah. Jim. And, and I think we have a responsibility in this industry to, if we can do something safer for the environment, we should, right. you know, if, if, if we could still right. be effective and do things more safely, uh, it just makes sense. And the other right. thing is this also enables us with the digital, we can now monitor homes 24 seven and it lets us know when there's any activity. So it also is helping us reduce our trips out, reducing mm -hmm. our carbon footprint as well. So on all angles, we're, we're covering the sustainability part of this. We're, we're just trying to make it not only efficient for us, but just more sustainable for the entire environment. It's great. Yeah, that's, that's great, Jim. How about fleas? How <laughs> difficult are fleas to get rid of? Uh, well, that's kind of a loaded question because what we're starting to see is more resistance now to some of the topicals used. Mm. Um, for a while there, we actually saw fleas were, were they were a big part of our business. Mm. Uh, and then it kind of dwindled as the over-the-counter topical remedies hit the market for treating pets. Uh, we saw a dip. Um, and now we're starting to see it climb back up again. Mm. Uh, fleas can be very difficult um, in conjunction with routine vacuuming and appropriate application of products we can get them under control pretty quickly okay but it really is dependent upon the animal as well so i mean at the end of the day on a, like a flea the best play the best way not to have fleas in your house is to make sure that your animal is protected against fleas right yes because yes. they just bring them in that it's not like fleas are you know living in your closet when you move into the house the the pets are really bringing them in yeah, and I think this winter, too, uh, it was so mild yeah. that we saw a lot of insect species continuing to be brought into the home on pets that we normally wouldn't. So an example would be like fleas and ticks. We actually had tick complaints in January and February this year, which was, you know, unheard of in past years uh, with, with the temperature uh, difference. It's That's so actually warmer. a fantastic point, because when you look at uh, climate change as a whole, and if mm -hmm. things are getting warmer, you're going to see more issues with all pests. Yep. Right. With with rodents, because there's usually a die off at some point in time during the winter for the insects. I actually Craig and I actually were having a conversation and, and I was telling him how I was pulling ticks off of my dog in January when we were on a hike with my girlfriend. And that basically after a conversation with him and we had a few customers call, we opened up our tick season, which we typically start in May. We opened it up in March and just said, we, of course, we opened up our tick season and then we had three feet of snow, but it, <laughs> it's just it's how it goes. Uh, right. But we opened it up because they did not, with such mild winters like that, we just, nothing really died off. They'll, they'll go in more of a dormant phase, but it, they were active. So, right. so we're available and we're ready to treat for you. I mean, when they, when there's a die off of those sorts of things, is it an extended period of time of freezing weather, I would imagine, right? Because to your point, they could just burrow in the ground and you got to have consistent temperatures being below freezing it has to either be a really hard freeze uh or it needs to be food is like snow is on the ground and mm. food is unavailable for a period uh, of time point. so that could be especially with the mammals that's more of an issue but 
Um, this year was very mild. We're expecting to have a horrible rodent season next year. Yeah, it makes sense. Or great rodent season for us. Right. Yeah. yeah. Now, of course, the, the thing that could absolutely kill our entire insect season is everything's warm, everything starts to emerge, and then we have a snowstorm and cold for three days and kills everything. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, great for the homeowner, though. Great exactly. for the homeowner. Great for the homeowner. Yes. So uh, we're just going to take a quick break, guys. We'll be back with Viking Pest Control. We got Craig, we got Jim here. We'll be right back at you. Hey, welcome back, everyone. This is Greg Wareham with Your Mortgage Process. We, of course, have Craig and we have Jim today from Viking Pest Control. Welcome back, guys. Hello. All right. So I want to talk a little bit about bats. And because I know you you remediate everything. And I'm terrified of bats. Jim, I'm terrified of them. It's uh, it, I've never been comfortable around bats. And, you know, this is where you're going to are you going to ask me why, Nick? I'm interested. Let's okay, go. I got to tell the story then. If you insist, I'm going to tell it. So when I was five years old, maybe six, we lived in Pittsburgh. We lived in an apartment in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a small little apartment. And my dad came over to me and he said, we got bats in the basement. I said, okay. Now the basement was somewhere I never went down at that. I was terrified of the basement to begin with. So he's like, you got to go down in the basement and kill the bats. And he handed me a can and said it was bat repellent. And it, well, it turned out it was actually right guard. When I walked down into the basement, he had hung rubber bats from the ceiling everywhere. And I'm down there, it's pitch black, and I'm spraying these things. And I run out, you know, I run out basically, you know, half naked, terrified. So I'm afraid of bats. I always have been. I can't get over it. So how do you get rid of them? I know that bats can be a challenge to get rid of, and there's some environmental protections associated with them. Mm -hmm. Before you even answer that, I want you to know that Greg was maybe two small decisions away from becoming the Dark Knight vigilante that we all know I thought about today. it. <laughs> <laughs> how do you so close to the origin story. How do you know I'm not? <laughs> I've, I've never seen Greg and Batman in the same room. That's right. Suspect. <laughs> so uh, tell, how do you get rid of bats? Um, well, first thing I think everybody needs to understand is they are beneficial, right? We don't want to actually harm them. Yeah. Um, so what we do is we relocate them. Um, and... Basically, they relocate themselves. So we'll put up uh, a device or a system where they can exit, but they can't re-enter. Right. And that forces them to find a new place to go spend their time and go live. So All right. uh, it's an eviction, essentially. That's great. So you don't, yeah. you, you, don't, you don't harm them. You just can't live here anymore. Pretty much. All right. All right. That's good. And there's, uh, you know, what other creatures do you do that with? Same with squirrels and, and other bigger... I guess rodents or mammals, squirrels, raccoons. Uh, I mean, for the, especially the ones living in the house. I mean, the Raccoon occasional the, the house, occasional man. possum will get inside the house, but right. yeah, our, our right now squirrels are our biggest pain in the butt. Um, but yeah, we get a lot of raccoons, especially in the winter time, and it's not just one; it's usually a family of four or five. And mm -hmm. it sounds like somebody's throwing bowling balls up in the attic. So right, we usually do more with like the have a heart traps, and, and we'll yeah. remove them, but we can exclude them little dicey. I used to do that when I was a technician. You create a one-way device so they can get out but can't get back in. But usually the mother is hanging out right by the hole where you're trying to do that. So she's hissing at you and swiping at you. So um, <laughs> you got to get your nerves of steel going on before you go up the ladder and deal with that. But for the most part, we, what we'll usually do is remove them with a trap and then seal everything off. I got to tell you, raccoons are such a cute animal. So I had this cat. It was a stray cat. His name, I named him Rufus. He came around for years. I think he might have passed away this winter. I haven't seen him in quite some time. But I'd leave food out for him. Every once in a while, a raccoon would show up. And he'd come right up to the, 
to the glass sliding glass door and look at you and you start eating and they have opposable thumbs. So you're watching him eat it and then like wash his hands off and then eat it again. I mean, they're really remarkable creatures. They're super cute. But anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and you know, this isn't just a job. But it is kind of an adventure some days. So yeah, you never know what you're going to find when you somebody says, hey, I have noises up in my attic and you got to pop your head up there oh. for the first time and take a look. And, right. uh, that's my favorite. Right. <laughs> you, you're going into an attic and you pop your head up there looking for mice and you turn around and you just see three raccoons staring at your face. <laughs> you're like, oh. Right. Slowly go right back there. Right, right. Or get buzzed by that bat. You know, whoosh. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, no, and they're like raccoons will, they attack. Yeah, they're not nice. I shouldn't say attack, but you know what? They can defend themselves. They can be defensive. Put it. Yeah. They can be defensive. Yeah. Yeah. I have a crawl space in my home. Uh, it's quite short, so it's not even like crawl. Like you have to kind of like lay down and shoot. Like, like commando. Yeah. Okay. yeah, the whole way. And I remember when we first moved in, we had a guy check because the inspector said that he did find what appeared to be old damage from termites. So that, that's going to be a follow-up question. Don't let me forget that one. But the... But so this guy goes in the crawl space where I would never venture because, like, I think you said your girlfriend, uh, spiders are just not my thing. That's my number one weakness for sure. And you um, look like someone who'd be afraid of spiders. I don't know why. <laughs> and I, I'll, I'll, I, I, I put them on boxes. I, I brought them back outside sometimes. Can't kill them. Um, I just don't want them anywhere near me. But uh, this guy, so this guy who's a professional, comes over. He's spraying the house next door. So that's how the introduction happened. And he's crawling in there and he does one of those quick jolts. Like he was frightened, and I was like, "Is everything okay?" Like I'm, I'm like whispering through the the crawl spaces. I don't know what's down there either. And he's like, oh, "I'm just making noises to make sure there's no ra- raccoons." Um, but he was so frightened. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you're saying nerves of steel. So I'm, I'm sure that's something you have to think about. But I, I would assume you guys still have days you probably get caught off guard. Oh, absolutely. Um, I remember one we had a rat run up somebody's leg. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, he needed the rest of that day off. <laughs> he, 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 it was a little rough on him that day. I can imagine. Yeah. Uh, the, the worst I ever got scared, it was the saddest thing. I was checking a bait station, and a frog jumped out at me, and I screamed like a 12-year-old. It was so awful. <laughs> I've had snakes drop in front of me, no problem. I was on a ladder. A squirrel jumped out of a hole at my face, and I just dodged it. But that stupid frog. That frog guy. Oh, it was awful. <laughs> Are you afraid of frogs? Not at all. <laughs> it's just a variable, you know. Just, yeah, right. This unknown thing lunging at you. Like, what the right. Right. Yeah. No two days are the same. Uh, yeah. It is kind of funny how humans are. So if there's a my uh, I have four kids and both my boys are afraid of insects. And those are like, Dad, you got it. And like, they're like, one of them's 21. The other one's like 16. I don't know. They're not little kids. But like, hey, you got to come down and, you know, get this spider out of there. And humans, as you're approaching the whole situation, you're very cautious, right? You get this cautious approach to dealing with something that's one millionth of your size to do it. It's uh, it's just amazing how the human psyche works because the thing at the end of the day, nothing, none of them are going to hurt you. It's just about just taking care of the problem. And one of the things too is a lot of times people tend to profile who they think is going to be afraid of things. Right. And I have, I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, you cannot tell who is afraid of what. Right. I have had six foot six, 300 pounds, less than 4% body fat people standing on a table waiting for an hour for me to get there because they saw a mouse. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I had a fireman push me out of the way because he saw cave crickets. I was like, dude. Right. Yep. <laughs> I mean, to his defense, they're kind of terrifying. I don't really know what they are. You know, they're not kind of cricket. They're like, they're like really weird looking. That's this like alien look to them. They, they yeah, do. Yeah. Do you know what a cave cricket is, Nick? Yeah, I think so, right? Or I might be thinking of like a wolf. Is it like wolf spider? They look they like look they're like somewhere between a cricket and a grasshopper. Yeah. 
and they're they're different oh, they're really colors. Long though, right? oh, my Golf God. ball size. Oh, yeah. I don't like those yeah. at all. Yeah, we don't have them here. When I lived in Sussex County, New Jersey, oh, we used to get them all the time. They're all, yeah. We, I've only seen one the whole time I've lived in Monmouth County. Thank God. Shadier, more moisture. Yeah. Plus, they jump far. They lunge at you. That's oh, yeah. <laughs> a whole so thing. tell a story. So yeah. when I was a technician, I went to a house one time, and it was a crawl space, but crawl space I could stand. But it was the entire wall. You could just see it moving. It was like the mummy. And oh. I flashlight, and it was just... Thousands and thousands of cake crickets just hanging out on the wall. So oh I went God. and grabbed my bee gear, <laughs> veiling everything, and just closed my eyes and sprayed the wall. And they just started pouncing on me like jumping. Oh. <laughs> uh, it reminds me of that show Fear Factor. Yeah. Oh, I'd have been great at that show. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It doesn't bother you at all. Not at that all. Great. <laughs> That's great. So I have a good question for you guys. Um, are there like kind of like protected animals? I'm, I'm assuming there's probably protected species and in insects or, or pests. So is that like a something? You, is that like uncommon, or at least maybe uncommon in New Jersey? More so in the ornamental and agricultural markets, they encounter that. Mm. Um, we don't get a lot of protected species entering people's houses. Okay. Uh, honeybees are probably the big one. I'm a beekeeper, yeah, so it's sense. near and dear to my heart. Right. Um, but yeah, I do know that you know that that is the big one that we worry about are the pollinators and protecting the pollinators. And you know if you're cautious and you use your products correctly and you apply them when they're supposed to be applied and we, we can limit that risk and you know, i use it in my own house with my own hives so right it's really fun telling a customer that there's nothing we can do about that bees nest in your wall right <laughs> you know what though i mean that is a critical part of the ecosystem yep. and that's what people miss i mean no one i don't like bees i they're flying around yeah. me i'm afraid they're gonna sting me but it's like they pollinate yep. there's no food now, without you, them pollinating things. Now, yellow jackets, nobody needs those. But um, <laughs> but yeah. yeah. But the honeybees, yeah, they definitely are beneficial. So, so and we'll reach I'm sorry. We we'll, we'll reach out to a honeybee or like a beekeeper and have them extract the bees uh, and then the worst part for the the homeowners now they're going to have to cut that wall because all that honey in there is going to rot if they don't. Right. So they got they have to remove that right. as well. So it, it's not a cheap it could be a couple hundred pounds of honey. Too. Oh, sure. All right. Yeah. So now there's a yeah. bee that would they Craig, we need you. Put your suit on. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Nick, you were finishing your question. My wife is big into like plants and all sorts of things, especially for the outdoors. And she's constantly looking up ways to either like help reduce the amount of pests or bugs. Like, for example, like lavender is like a great mm -hmm. thing against, like, I guess, mosquitoes. Do so you guys have any best practices on that? Or is there myths or facts mm. that you want to share? A lot of the organic methods do work when they're done in when they're done correctly and when they're done in enough quantity. The issue you run into is a lot of the plant extracts, the organic oils, they break down very quickly. And one thing that most people don't realize when they start to go down that route is they have a much, much stronger smell. And it can be very irritating. Mm. So a lot of people, you know, they've engineered, you know, most of our products that we're utilizing to be you know, less, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, and yeah, le well, no, less, uh, you know, less volatile. So you're not, mm. you're not affected by the odors as much. You, you know, they have lower odor, they're lower risk factor. Um, whereas the things that are organic tend to have very strong odor. So we, we have a lot of people that, that they attach, they, you know, and we, we offer organic. We, we uh, do believe in it strongly, but uh, the downside to organic is most people don't realize what they're signing up for when they come in with, thyme oil or lemongrass oil or mint oil and now the whole house smells like thanksgiving dinner right 
Right, right. Oh. Or we even have some products that smell like Ben Gay. So if you're walking yeah. around your house smelling Ben Gay all day for a week, two weeks before it dissipates. Yeah. <laughs> right. Do they still uh, like embalm an entire house? I remember when I was a kid growing up in Florida, every once in a while there'd be a tent over a house. That, that's fumigation work. Okay. Um, and, you know, lay people like to call everything a fumigation, right? right. Um, fumigations typically start around $10,000. So usually when they call us, that's not what they're looking for. Uh-huh. But uh, we'd be happy to sell them one. But um, <laughs> yeah, actually, but we, we've, left that mar- we've left that market, actually. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the, the they do that down south for dry wood termites mm. um, because the termites don't live in contact with soil. Okay. They live in the wall completely. So in order to mm. get to them, they have to put gas into the house and trap that gas in that plant. Got it. So we don't really have that species up here. We could treat the soil to kill our termites. So it's really not done as often Makes in the sense. north. It's just not needed up here, but it's still yeah. a practice down in the, in the southern states. Again, depending on where you're at, it's different type of uh, yep. insect, a different type of uh, rodent, different ways to remediate it. Yep. They do do a lot of fumigation work for food in silos and grain bins and that sort sure. of thing, bulk product. So, oh, you think that, yeah, that's a big part of our whole farming system, right? Yep. You have to be able to do it and do it safely. Yep. And, and the beauty that's of it is business. it leaves no residual. So right. when it evaporates, it's gone. You know, that brings up a question about commercial. So we talk uh, talking all about residential, but a big part of the industry is treating commercial sites, restaurants, pharmacy, pharmaceutical companies go down the list. And I would imagine they have a whole different pest situation than we have on the residential side. Oh, absolutely. And, and the, pre- uh, the acceptable thresholds are lower. Um, we find a lot of times with the acceptable threshold, you know, maybe in a pharmaceutical plant, they could have zero mm. spiders. Um, nothing can penetrate or get into that packaging or contaminate that product. Great point. So, yeah, yeah, and, and it makes sense. Restaurants, I mean, they see one cockroach, they are, <laughs> um, and, and uh, rightfully so. I mean, they're, they're on the horn with us. Um, where large warehouses, warehouse stores, uh, where a lot of things are being delivered on pallets, mice and other invasive insects can, you know, basically catch that on a, a nice trip into the store. Um, we, we've had many places where they're just feed stores or anything like that, where the mice will live inside that pallet and never really need to leave. Right. And then they'll just eat. And then when they do venture out, there's a nest of tens and twenty, and then they're just yeah. then they start reproducing, and then before you know it there's a, a huge infestation of mice and nobody has seen anything because they've been within the pallets of food and then they just kind of break out. So right. it, it's a, it can be quite a problematic. That's an, uh, going back to our smart product. That's when we start implementing a lot of that so we can catch some of these things prior to it really getting out of hand. Right. Yeah. And that's a, it's really good point with the tolerance issues, right? Because listen, I mean, the reality is there's going to be pests, but there are some locations, zero tolerance. You cannot have them. Yeah. You know, even if you look at uh, the warehouse, like there's a, probably a certain amount of tolerance because you can't get rid of all of them, I wouldn't imagine. But you have to be able to prepare for any of the bigger infestations. Yeah. And especially with our food processing plants that we deal with, um, not only is their threshold low, what we're able to use is very limited. So it's a lot of organic right. products on the interior, and, and they have approved lists that we have to go through. And then usually we a lot of the times we need to say, this is what we're going to use, and then they need to make preparations for us to use those. Makes sense. I, I mean, a big portion of what we do is brand protection. Um, yeah. You know, if... Good point. You know, we, I open our new hire school when I teach our new technicians. You know, we talk about a loaf of bread that had a mouse baked into it that actually went through the slicer, and you could actually see the slice is a mouse. And this, you know, if this went viral, it could cost thousands of jobs for this company. Sure. And, 
you know, so the impact we have on brand is huge, and, right. and a lot of people don't realize it. This is one of the last trades you could still learn on the job. Um, there's a lot to it, and you know, it'll take a lot of people to realize it. I think that's a fantastic point, you know, and that commercial end of it. You can't have a problem like that. People won't buy your product. It nope. could cost thousands of jobs, millions of dollars in loss as a result of it, 100%. especially in that food manufacturing space. It's big business. Uh, I know we were dealing with a pharmaceutical plant years ago, and they had a contamination issue on a bulk product. And it was prior to us taking over the account, and $1.5 million recall. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, the, the cost of a pest control program is a small pittance compared to potential, potential well, pl- ramifications. Plus, you have, co- you have uh, places like OSHA coming in, right, yeah. making sure that, hey, you have to be at a certain standard. There's a tolerance they may preset for you to say what you can and what you can't have. And if you fail it, they could shut you down. Yep. You know, you shut down production for three days a week. I mean, you're talking it could be millions of dollars in revenue. And, and social media has actually been a huge benefit for us as well. A uh, simple person will go to the, a restaurant, find a cockroach in their meal, post it on social media, we're getting a phone call pretty shortly by that restaurant owner saying, hey, come and wreck. Not ours. We, we've gained a lot of business just because of that. Because yeah, either that. the current company's not doing what they're supposed to or they just don't have pest control. And, you know, they're on top of us in a heartbeat because the worst thing that anybody could possibly do now is post it on social media because that it reaches so many people and, and can cripple your business within minutes. Yeah, and that's the kind of stuff that goes viral, too. Oh, it doesn't go away easily. No. Right. <laughs> so... It, Talk to me about the spotted lantern fly. So I was in Rutgers. I have two kids at Rutgers. And this past summer, I was at Rutgers. and we walking by the bookstore. And I've never seen anything like it. There were lantern flies on the wall of the bookstore, like outside. Mm-hmm. I mean, there must have been 100,000 of them. I don't know. Maybe I'm making up the number, but it was a lot. <laughs> You're probably not off by much. Um, I know when they were introduced into Pennsylvania uh, a few years back, you know, they hit where I live uh, personally and lost several trees in the backyard due to this. Um, they did eventually spread. Now we've actually, we're getting calls in Jersey City now all the time. Um, they are spreading quickly. Uh, there is a quarantine put up by USDA that most people don't even realize they live in a quarantine zone. Hmm. Um, but, you know, it's, they've done a very bad job of mitigating the spread. Um, right. And, you know, we have programs to help control this. Uh, they're reduction programs. Uh, there's no magic bullet that, you know, you wave your wand and they all just disappear. Um, this is something that's the new normal, kind of like the brown marmorated stink bug was a few yeah. years ago. Um, this is our new normal. And the worst part is the juveniles are very b- small and black, so nobody's really seeing them on the trees and inside the bark. It's not until they've become the adult where they're this beautiful moth-looking thing. Right. Um, it, by that time, it's far too late. So, like, while I mean, while yes, our knockdown is going to help with that. Uh, the the nymphs have been around for three or four months already. So, All right, so it's over now. Yeah. Now they're in this country. It just is what it is. Yep. Uh, they have no natural predator, right? Nope, not to our knowledge. All right, so you just got to learn to keep it down. You got to control it, but it's the odds of us eliminating. It's not that high. Yeah, the the invasive species are really an unforgotten portion of this industry. You know, this yeah. industry gets a very bad stigma sometimes from the public. It's, oh, you know, you're using chemicals, you're using poisons. Right. Um, but we are protecting the environment from things that don't belong here a lot of times. Right. Um, you know, there's Great just, point, Craig. At the Asian bush tick was introduced here in Hunterdon County just, what, five years ago? 
um, it's spreading like crazy. Um, and, you know, it's, it's very different than the tick species we have here. So, you know, there, there's a constant impact from import-export and international travel, and, you know, it, uh, this is one of the ramifications of it. Lyme's disease was pretty much an East Coast thing, and now it's prevalent in every single state yeah. it, right. that quickly. So, yeah, and, and it's crippling. So, I mean, we the things that we do, uh, and Craig mentioned the plague when we were talking about rats, I mean, to that extent, we're, we're helping prevent a lot of these diseases and things spread. Sure. Yeah, and it's just... Uh, yeah, you are helping the environment. You got to you got to remediate these things going on in the global global economy. There's no way around it. It's going to happen. It, it takes an outbreak of something for people to realize how important it is again. Yeah, and that's the sad truth of it. You know, if there was a big outbreak of St. Louis encephalitis, or we had Zika virus a couple of years ago, yeah. or all these different uh, what they call arbo illnesses, arthropod-borne illnesses. Um, yeah, they can cause a lot of damage. They can be very debilitating. Um, and luckily, we haven't seen a bad one in years. But you know, but there's one coming. That's how it, it goes. It, that's how it works. So I'm thinking. I know you guys have a have a big uh, group of people, and you're like you're you work in four different states, right? New York, New Jersey, oh, Pen- Del- Pennsylvania, New okay. Jersey. Thank you, Pennsylvania. Del- Go ahead. You, you say it. <laughs> Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, and Maryland. You know, we're talking a team of you know 300 plus people. I'm going to say if you guys have to show up at the house, it's probably a pretty big problem, <laughs> right? Yeah. If, if you see me specifically at your house, it's probably bad. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't go to houses anymore. But, <laughs> but yes, I, I, All right. if it comes to me, it's, it's gone way too long. And usually I, I have Craig involved within seconds. So Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, tell me a little bit about your 40 for 40 program. I was reading a little bit of it online. I really liked it. So we started this program... Um, it was our 40th anniversary, and, and our marketing team did a great job where they wanted to really do great things for the community, but also get our name out there. So we started doing um, 40 deeds for 40 years, and all of our branches and other departments, uh, you know, it was just um, s- simple things like, you know, food banks. Uh, you know, we were cleaning up parks for the areas. Um, of course, we started this in 2020, so the pandemic kind of halted it a little bit. But we were also able to spin that by uh, bringing lunch and, and other treats to the hospitals for all the nurses and all the front lines. So, um, great. so it was things like that. Uh, we were donating. We also got into uh, disinfecting services during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a lot of supplies that we were, uh, del- you know, we got an influx of um, Tyvek suits, gloves, but also the disinfecting cleaner. Um, so we were also donating that to uh, certain uh, um, food shelters. First uh, responders, yeah, that kind of thing. We, we actually yeah. were doing the disinfecting service as a, a voluntary basis for firehouses and EMTs and stuff like that as well. So, uh, But, yeah, it was just a way to give back to the community and, and let the entire um, service territory know that Viking cared about them as much as they cared about us by using us. So, Right. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And, uh, you know, shifting, shifting gears over to different products that are being developed, Craig, I know you were mm-hmm. to an international meeting. And what are some of the things that you're working on to make things more safe for the environment? Well, we're looking at different uh, classes of chemistry right now. And which ones do we want to try to limit the use of? Uh, which ones do, you know, we want to rely on more heavily because they have less environmental impact? Um you know, we can be the change in the industry we want, right. um, and we're a large enough company where we can help to influence that. So it's nice. That's great. What's the worst thing that you've ever seen? Oh, that that there's. I a, got time. Uh, 
Worst, gross, worst. Uh, I mean, what's the insects? worst thing you ever walked through? You're like, oh, what is going on? We had a home in the mountainside area that had a, a Ford fly problem, and they had a sore leak under the slab. Okay. And I guess when they would go on vacation every year, the water levels would drop because they'd stop running the water. The water leak would drop, and it was acting like a seal okay. up against the house. Yep. So when the water level dropped far enough from the broken sore line, they would these flies would flood into the house, and tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions, you couldn't you couldn't enter the home without a respirator on. Oh my god! Um, you had to have goggles on because you wouldn't be able to open your eyes. Um, and we were able to track down that it, where the broken line was, and they were able to get it fixed. But yeah, it was one heck of a infestation. Oh, so just the cleanup after they you get them out. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Days of cleanup. Days. Oh, like something you see in a horror movie. Pretty much. Hey, I got one, I got one more question for you. Do you think are you good at identifying different types of droppings from animals? Oh, sure. You spot what they are. So I want you to tell me, I want you to tell me what that's a dropping from. I have jokes, but um, that I don't I mean, know. That's a world-class poop right there. So what this is, my wife got me this for, uh, for Christmas one year. I don't know if it's authentic, but it's supposed to be a petrified dinosaur dropping. Huh. That's what it's supposed to be. Now, I have to confirm it. I hope she didn't get robbed, but if you ever see this... I quit. That's what. Yeah. <laughs> Look for the Tyrannosaurus Rex in the closet. So, guys, uh, what's the best way to reach out to you if someone wanted to talk about pest control or needed help? I, I mean, honestly, uh, VikingPest.com would be the best way to reach out. We have okay. um, it has all of our phone numbers for the various areas, as well as we have an open chat with our uh, customer service center where they can speak live with you um there's emails and everything like that okay vikingpest.com you guys are experts you know obviously know everything about this industry if anyone has a need for you out there whether or not it's professional professionals commercial the consumer mm -hmm. just reach out to you vikingpest.com craig jim thanks for coming today it was great having you on the show thank you thanks for having me. and thanks everyone for listening this week look forward to catching up with you next week greg wear him at your mortgage process thanks guys Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Your Mortgage Process, hosted by Greg Wareham, produced by Greg Wareham and Nick Pavise at The Social Rift, and executively produced by The Social Rift. Thank you again for tuning in, and we look forward to catching up with you next week.